Welcome to the Mosaic Church Podcast, where we share with you the message of hope and love that lies at the core of the Christian faith. Our weekly sermons delve into the teachings of the Bible and how they can impact our daily lives, inspiring us to journey together towards a deeper understanding of God's infinite love. Join our community of believers as we embrace the power of faith and embark on a transformative spiritual journey. Mosaic Church in Mableton, Georgia exists to lead people to an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ to help them change the world. Now, please enjoy this message from Pastor Broderick Santiago, lead pastor of Mosaic Church. Have y'all been enjoying this so far? It's been pretty deep. And I, I know I said originally that I was going to wear a dashiki every Sunday. But I said, no, I don't, I don't want to do that because it could be a distraction for some people. But uh, next week, uh, uh, listen, no holds bar. That's all I can say. And I want you guys to wear something, you know, as well to represent your culture. But um, this has been rich. The first week we kind of dealt with the subject matter, this is America, and how uh, what we're going through in this country, uh, uh, you know, we've got to be the change agents for. And how a lot of what we see happening in this country right now has used the scripture in vain. In the same way that they use the scripture in vain to promote slavery. In the same way that they use the scripture in vain to promote civil rights, uh, the denial of civil rights. The same way they've abused scripture uh, we have done that in this country. We talked about that in week one. If you didn't see it, you could check out the podcast. Week two, we kind of dealt with the church, right? Like, okay, what is the church's response to what's happening in our country? What, how do we respond and how even the church has missed it? Well, today is part two of that. We're going to continue. We're talking about the church, but I want to unpack it a little bit and, and, and talk about what T'Challa, uh, forgive me, was saying. We are better together we, uh, we we do more united than we can separate we're and, and we got to always remember that some of the stuff that divides us you got to remember where we are you know uh, uh we are under a spiritual attack spiritual warfare does exist uh and watch this uh and it's not just against the believer <laughs> uh, you know, spiritual attacks don't just happen to those uh, who believe in God. It, there's a spiritual attack that's happening that's totally penetrating this nation. And, and, and so we've got to talk about that. And so like T'Challa was saying, if you remember the video clip from last week, T'Challa was, was dealing with some identity crisis. He had just met his cousin, his first cousin, Killmonger. And Killmonger comes and he says, you know what? I'm here because I want the throne. And he says, I want the throne because y'all, y'all sitting up here looking good, but y'all ain't doing nothing with it. With it. Y'all, y'all sitting pretty, and there are billions of people in need. I, I, I want the throne. And, and if, if you, we really think about it, if you've watched the movie, you know what I'm talking about. If you have not, I'm sorry. This, is made, this may be, you know, uh, something you haven't seen before. But listen, if you really think about it, Killmonger's character wasn't that bad. All Killmonger wanted to do was help people people out that look like him all he wanted to do was lift up other people he wasn't a tyrant sure there was some family hurt his uncle killed his father so he's like yo that's crazy I could have been living with y'all but y'all left me in the projects and whatever but he's like no 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 I want to take what we have and give it to people who don't have it why are we keeping it to ourselves and that's what he was trying to do last week. 
And so this week, we're, we're dealing with now T'Challa. Fast forward, and you may not have, if, you ha- if you've seen the movie and you didn't stay through the credits, you missed that part. <laughs> if you left when the credits rolled, you were like, I didn't see this in the movie. No, because you left when the credits started rolling and you, you got to watch it all the way to the end. I, this is just a sidebar. If you watch Marvel movies, don't leave until, the, until it's literally all the way to the end. Because all these Marvel movies, they tell you what's going to happen next. I'm just telling you all how to watch a Marvel movie. Right? You got to watch it past the credits. All right? Y'all got that? That's a freebie. Yeah, that wasn't even in my message today, but I'm just helping y'all out because that's what we do, right? We better together. So anyway, watch it all the way to the end. So that's what that scene was about. Because it seems like T'Challa had, so to speak, a, 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 a realization that, you know what, we haven't done it right. And there are some scenes, and we'll talk about them next week, but there are some other scenes that led to him finally coming to the decision, you know what, we're going to share everything that we have as Wakandans. We're going to give our vibranium and our weapons and all. We're going to share our wealth, our knowledge, our wisdom, our, all of this stuff with the world because we're better together. We've kept it to ourselves long enough, but now we're going to share it. And that's where we need to be as a church. I want to pause for just a moment and say thank you to all those who were able to come out last week uh, for the panel discussion I was a part of. It was a very, very rich and enlightening conversation. Uh, I believe that many people began to at least think. And I'll tell you what I told them, and I really mean this. My goal, my job as a pastor, as a person, as a human being is never ever to get you to think like me. I just want you to think. Never want you to think like me. My job is to get you to think. Think about where we are as a country. Think about where we are as a people. And watch this. Think about where we are as a church. Because right now the church has failed. Has failed this country. Has failed this people. How can we be in the richest nation in the world and have the highest number of homeless people? How can we live in the richest nation in the world and still have the level of poverty that we have. How can we live in the richest nation in the world and corporations don't even want to give their employees simply $15 an hour, which still would keep them below the poverty line? Because we're selfish. We're in a capitalist society. And even on our money, we try to use scripture. In God, we trust. And it's so not true. We don't operate like we really trust or believe in God. We take little pit, bits and pieces of the Bible and, and, and incorporate it into, into our government and into our stuff. And I'm not going to get too far down that line. But the bottom line is the church has missed it. I believe if Jesus came back today, because we don't know when, but if he came back today, he would look at me like, this ain't what I left. I, this, this is y'all's mess. I would believe that Jesus would come back and say, you know what, God, remember what you did back in the day? You just started all over. You might want to do that right now because this is not what I left. When I left, there was something beautiful, something vibrant, something powerful growing. I left a seed that should have been watered and plowed with prayer. But this stuff right here is not it. This is not what I left. I believe that if Jesus came back, he would he would look and say, you know what? I never told those people in the office to use my name in vain. I believe if Jesus came back right now, he'd say, I never told them that, that, that to say this. I never said uh, 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 this or that. They're using scripture to, 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 to promote laws 
but they forget about scripture that talks about compassion. If I read the gospel, Jesus was against following the, the norms. Uh, Jesus was against following. He broke laws in order to reach people that were hurting. But the churches left love and exchanged it for legalism. We try to legislate morality and we tell our people in our church, get behind somebody who has the same moral beliefs. And that's what it's talking about politics. Get behind, vote for someone who, who, who votes morally like you. And Jesus like never said anything about voting. He only said something about sharing. He always said, reach those who are far from him. Matter of fact, the Great Commission is all about reaching out. Nothing about I'm going to vote for this candidate because they have the same moral belief. Or, hey, because, they're gonna, they, because they believe what I believe, they're going to change the laws. Isn't that kind of Old Testament? Because are we no longer under the law? That's a whole nother service for another day. But we, as the church, could learn something from T'Challa. We, as the church, could learn something from this epiphany moment that he had. This self-realization that, you know what, we do have a lot and we're keeping it to ourselves. Do you realize that if the church would just be the church, we could eradicate poverty on our own. We wouldn't need a government. That if the church would just be the church, we'd once again have beautiful families. If the church would just be the church, a place where love and forgiveness is given freely, not condemnation and judgment. A place where we're where, where, like the church in the book of Acts where we sold our possessions and no one needed anything if the church would just be the church. And I'm not talking about these four walls that we call a building. I'm talking about people being the church. Make it your business to care about the lives of others. If the church would just be the church, racism may not have as much power as it does. Because if the church was just the church, we would speak against certain some of these things. Let me give you all some scriptures so you all can feel like you all are at church today. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can meet me over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to be reading verses 12 and 13 coming from the New Living Translation. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. It says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews. Some of us are Gentiles. Some are slaves. Some are free. But... We all have been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. That is Christianity. Once we've all accepted salvation, once we've all been baptized, once we've all made this life change, uh, it's not to say you got to understand the writer here, Paul, is not trying to say you're no longer a Jew suddenly. Uh, the writer Paul is not trying to say all of a sudden because you accepted Christ, you're no longer a, a, a Gentile. No, he's saying you're still that, but we have a commonality now that's greater than that. And our commonality is now that we've been adopted into a new family, and that is the family of believers that follow Jesus Christ. So I'm still who I am. You are still uh, your culture. You are still your ethnos. You are still your identity. However, you are now a part of a bigger family. And I believe that if more of us 
us, the church would realize that. Do you realize how many denominations there are in the Christian faith? It's, it's, it's more than 100. Actually, it's more than 200. Why so many denominations in the Christian faith? Every time there's a new denomination, every time there's a new movement, every time there's something new, we draw a bigger wedge into our relationship. We separate us because we're separated on traditionalism, dogma, and other stuff that does not represent Christ. We're separated on, on, on oh, I, I don't like uh, that kind of music or I don't like this. We're separated on trivial stuff. And do you realize none of that matters if we're not loving? Y'all remember the scripture I shared last week? Where I talked about, uh, <laughs> he says, forget about your, 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 your praise and your worship. Forget about all of their programming and all of this stuff. None of that I care about. Uh, uh, what I care about is, is how you respond to justice. I want, I want rivers of righteousness and oceans of justice. This is what the Bible says. This is, this is what I want. I don't care about all that other stuff. But the church is so focused on the other stuff that we miss the important stuff we forget to keep the main thing the main thing and that is love the gospel is saturated with it through parables through stories through history the gospel is saturated with love Jesus every story we read everything we read about Jesus had to do with compassion had to do with love everything he reached out for the poor because of love He took a little boy's fish and some bread and fed people that were strangers because of love. He intentionally went through places that other Jewish people avoided because of love. Everything about Jesus was love. He literally put his hands on a leprosite because of love. He spit in dirt, turned it into mud. Yeah, that's yucky, but he did it out of love. He wept for his friend at the hearing of his passing because of love. And we have missed it. He refused to condemn a woman who was caught in the act of adultery because of love. Everything we hear about in, about Jesus and as Christians, that's who we're, we're emulating. That's who we're trying to be. That's who we're trying to live out to, to aspire to be like. Uh, everything about it has to do with love. Never do we see in the Bible where Jesus said, let's legalize morality. Never, ever. If you can show me in the Bible, I might change my mind. But it's not there. It's not there. And it, and it, and it, and it breaks my heart when I see Christians on national television, speaking about legalizing morality and not dealing with people from a compassion that Jesus had, the passion of Christ. It breaks my heart because every time we do that, every time we, we, we cast judgment on somebody because of their sexual preference, guess what? We just missed the opportunity to reach them with love. Every time the church is silent about racial issues in this country, guess what we did? We just missed an opportunity to reach somebody with love. And we need to do it. And the thing is, if I can be totally transparent, the thing is, we in the church 
dare I say, the black church in America, we speak about it all the time. It's our plight. (laughs) It's our struggle. It's our issue. But we don't make the change because we speak about it. We need people that don't that don't look like us, that don't that don't go through our circumstances like us to speak about it. I woke up this morning to a news report that broke my heart. Another young black life snipped, shot, killed in Florida because simply because he was defending his girlfriend. And he was shot by a white man who was an instigator. An instigator. And his defense, I was afraid and I stood my ground. You instigated. You initiated contact. You started trouble. Another situation. But if we just pause for a moment and if this man just with some compassion just took a moment to learn about our plight. This man was doing what he was supposed to do. He's protecting somebody he loved. And here it is, another life gone. Make matters worse, he was shot in front of his five-year-old son. Because compassion has left this place. But if the church would be the church and speak up against stuff like this. If the church would take a stance on gun violence. Boy, would we make a difference. Do you realize That there is no other organization as powerful and as organized as the church in America. There is no other organization in the world that carries as many members as we do. If we would just unify and organize, do you realize we could flip the entire earth on its axis? But because we're so divided and because we're still far away From the bride that Jesus left here. And so not on the same page, we continue to die. The church is dying in America. That's a reality. And it's because of the divisiveness that plagues us. The human body, the body of Christ, many parts, but many parts make up one. Let's go to the same scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter, same chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And this time, let's go down a little bit further to chapter 22 through 26. And I love the way Paul is talking to this divided body. You got to understand Corinth and the city it was. It was, I mean, let's put it this way. Corinth was like New York City. It was a melting pot of all sorts of religions and all sorts of beliefs and all different cultures. It was a melting pot. I mean, honestly, it was a shipping port. And because Corinth was a shipping port, you had all kind of stuff going in and out of there, all kind of worship, all kinds of of crazy perversion dwelled big time in the city of Corinth. And here you have these people uh, uh, who are interested in learning more about it. So Paul is talking to them like, quit being so divided about stuff. We need to be united. That's the only way we can stand up against the, the authorities that rule over us. So here what he says in verse 22, now through 26. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest (laughs) and least important are actually the most necessary. Put your finger on the pause button. Let me put this in perspective for you. Okay? If you could think about the least important bone in your body right now, what would you say it would be? Just think in your mind. You don't have to say it out loud. A lot of people say, you know what? That pinky toe, I ain't worried about that pinky toe. 
I, I think I, long, you know, if the pinky toe, something happened to the pinky toe, I can manage with everything else. So let's just say you broke your pinky toe. You know how imbalanced you would be? Because we don't realize the weight the pinky toe carries. The pinky toe balances off most of our body weight. It's the anchor to the foot. It's not the big toe. It's that pinky. And if you broke that pinky, you'd be jacked up. You'd be imbalanced. You'd be off. You'd be all messed up. It's, it's, it seems like a small, unimportant part, but it's a big deal for the body. You follow what I'm saying? And that's what this scripture is simply saying. The weakest part of the body, the smallest church, the most dysfunctional church, the, the, hurt, the most hurtful church right now, the church that is hurting the most is actually the most important one. Let's see why he says that. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable part Honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. We put that in perspective. The smallest most insignificant church has the greatest impact because that church that's small and insignificant in that world's eyes, not the big mega church that everybody sees on TV and all this stuff, but that small church, all they got is God. They don't have a whole lot of money. <laughs> they ain't got no fancy building. They don't have no fancy technology. All they have is God and God is enough. And they're like, God, if we could just get a little bit more of you, we could do a whole lot more for you. Come on now. They already know. They are far more honorable because they're, they're, they're a clean slate. They're a blank canvas ready to be used by God. All they're searching for. Do you know why people talk about the church in Asia and Africa? Do you know why these churches are so amazing and on fire for God the largest church in the world right now the largest church in the world right they're seeing over a million people every Sunday I'm hear me I'm not making that up right there's two there's one in Africa there's one in Asia and you might be like wow that is crazy how are they doing that because they don't have the fluff people walking 10 20 miles to get to church. Why? Because they don't have the fluff. They have, I, I want Jesus. That, that's all I want. I'm going to walk 20 miles so I can experience Jesus. Well, what time does service start? When we get there. When is it over? Till he comes. Y'all sitting like, yeah, we, we in America, Pastor B. So uh, you got about another 20 minutes. You're going to have to wrap this up in about 20. We in America, Jack. I got some greens on the oven, and I need to, please. <laughs> but that's the difference. You know what their churches look like in some of these places? Two, four sticks and straw on top, and that's a brand-new church, and plastic chairs outside, no walls with AC and fans blowing. No, they're out there. And you're like, man, dude, how, I mean, don't, they, don't they get hungry? Yeah, they get hungry. But they're more hungry for Jesus than they are that food. They're like, I'm not leaving until the miraculous happens. I'm not leaving until I encounter. Listen, they, watch this. The reason it's so powerful in Asia and Africa right now 
is they actually believe the Bible. They're bringing babies half dead to the altar saying, listen, if this is true, then the person who did that in here can do that right here. We need to get back to that place where we believe everything. We believe in the miraculous. We believe in the full authority and power of Jesus. So when we walk in this place, you walk in here not looking for a show, not looking for an spectacle, not worrying about who here. You walk through those doors like, you know what, today it's got to happen for me. A blessing is in store for me. The miraculous shall happen to me. I'm coming out of whatever I came in here with. But we don't have that. And we need that. And we're so divided. And I think that if we were more united on just the common belief that the miracle still exists in Jesus. Not, not, quit being focused on legislation. Quit being focused on politics. Quit being focused on polity. And quit being focused on uh, legalism and all of the stuff that has nothing to do with Jesus. But let's be focused on Jesus. Keep the main thing the main thing. Then and only then can we see the same type of response from heaven that they receive in Africa and Asia right now. Then and only then. But we're too divided. We're too divided. What, what goes on in my house, in my, you know, in my church, that's, that's just for us. You know, oh, I want to I go to camp. Well, well, are you a member of this church? Are oh, you not a member? Your kids can't come to the camp. Oh, my, my lights, I got cut off. Oh, okay. Are you a member? Uh, uh, oh, you are. Are you a tithing member? Oh, you're not. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. We can't help you, but I can tell you some really good resources. The church has missed it. We've missed it. You know what the church does? This is what we do. We complain about the youth that are committing crimes when we have buildings to give them a space to express themselves. Uh, we have the capacity to say, you know what? You ain't got to be on the street. Come to the church, man. We got foosball table. We got a pool table. We got ping pong. Let's have some activities. But you know what we're doing? The church is sitting silent and saying, shame on them. Ooh, man, they need to come to church. Well, we are the church. What you're saying is, no, they need to come to this building when the church needs to go out there. We need to go to where they are. We need to go to where our youth are and stop complaining and stop pointing things like, oh, man, shame on them. You know, I wish they had some better upbringing. No, the onus is on the church. And the reason why we're not getting through is because we're divided. We're divided. And when I say we're divided, I'm not talking about the number of churches. That's okay. How do I know that's okay? Well, then read the, oh, let's read, let's go past the Gospels and start with the book of Acts. And we see that the first church launched from there. And then from there, we go later on, they started facing persecution, even from Paul. Well, once Paul got converted, then all of a sudden Paul went out and became a church planner. And then everybody was planting churches all the way to Asia, Minor, Africa, all over the place. So there were a bunch of churches all over. We need a bunch of churches. I say the more churches we have, the better off we'll be as a faith. I'm not talking about that when I talk about divisiveness. What I'm talking about when it comes to divisiveness is that we don't believe the same causes. We don't believe in the same thing. All right? We ignore stuff that makes a difference. Stuff that I know for a fact that breaks Jesus' heart. We ignore these things. Oh, that's not, that's not important. That's not about, you know, that's not about God or whatever. And we need to be more focused on those things. We need to be focused on those things. Watch this. If one part of the body is impaired in any way, it infects the entire body. 
If one part of the body is impaired anyway, it infects the entire body. So in other words, if I am black in America (laughs) and a lot of my brothers and sisters are facing the same persecution in America and we are Christians, guess what? It should hurt the entire body. If one class or group of us that call ourselves Christian face regular persecution and injustices, it should matter to the entire body. Every church should be speaking up against it. If one part of the body is impaired, the entire body is impaired. But we don't have that. We don't have that. We're too divided. Oh, that's that's not something we should be talking about. That's not something that matters. Let's just talk about the gospel until it comes to the issue of abortion. Then it matters. That's not something that that we don't even have to talk about. Because God never called us to be judges. He called us to be preservers and sharers of the gospel. The days of the judges are gone. (laughs) Only God can judge us. Let God deal with that. Let us reach people wherever they're from, whatever their struggle is, with love. And that's where the church has missed it. That's where the church has missed it. Let me share with you uh, a book, a quote from a book I read some time ago. This author by the name of Reggie McNeil wrote a book entitled Get Off Your Donkey. I love that. When I read our first loud, like, oh, I see what he's saying. Get off your donkey. What else do they call a donkey? Man, y'all slow this morning. I thought it was funny. I thought it was brilliant. But Reggie McNeil said this in his book, Get Off Your Donkey. He says, rising poverty is not solely the result of failed government programs. It is happening also because the church has refused to be the church Jesus imagined. If kids are not graduating because they can't read, it is not just a failure of our educational systems. It is also a failure of the church because our congregations are full of people that can read. If, 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 if children are struggling in school because they have nothing to eat, it's not just the issue with the government. It's a problem with the church because there are people in the church that can give them something to eat. If there are issues of injustice happening in this place and there's somebody who can't afford legal representation, there are people in the church that can do a pro bono. Not every case, but they can say, you know what, each year I'm going to represent just one person pro bono because I got all these other cases that's keeping my pockets fat. No offense to lawyers that may be here. If somebody has an illness or an ailment, they need medical attention. And they don't have the money because they couldn't get health care. They shouldn't be denied it because they didn't have the money. It's not a government problem. There are people in the church that are qualified to say, you know what, at least once a year, I'm going to take somebody and I'm going to offer them some free medical care. I remember back in the day, there used to be, when I grew up in New York, we used to have what we call community clinics. And oftentimes these free community clinics were run by churches. Where is that at now? Where are the free community clinics? There are people qualified to meet the needs of every single person that has one, and they're sitting in a building that they call the church. When the building is not the church, we as individuals are the church. Now, I'm not telling somebody that, hey, don't earn your money. Earn your money. But if you committed just to say, you know what, once a year, 
I'm going to just take, I'm going to offer my services free to just one person. You've met your quota. And then guess what? You tell your colleagues, hey, you know what? Once a year, man, I'm doing this. You should do it. It feels great. And then they tell somebody. And then they tell somebody. And everybody now who's a doctor is offering their services for free once a year to one person. All right? Or a lawyer. Or whatever your profession is. The church can be the change agents. We have the power and authority. We have it to do it, but we're just not doing it. The church isn't a place where everyone should be, my brothers and sisters. The church is something that everyone should become. The church isn't a place where everyone should be. It is something that everyone should become. We should all aim to be the church, become the church. And when we become the church, we become more Christ-like. And what does becoming the church mean? Well, let's go back to the first sermon Jesus preached in Luke chapter 4 when he unrolled the scroll of Isaiah. He said, I've been anointed to preach and teach, to share with you. Let's go to that scripture really quick. Luke chapter 4, I'm going to go to that. He says this, he unrolled the scroll of Isaiah and he says, Luke chapter 4. I think I'm right about it. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Chapter 4 verse 18. For he has anointed me to what? Bring good news to the poor. What good, what do you think good news sounds like to poor people? Not that they're going to be rich, but they'll no longer need. You watching me? He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim to the captives that they will be released. He told me to tell the blind that that they'll see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. The first sermon Jesus preached, he laid out what his plans and goals were. To reach people, to, to help them come out of oppression. Let me unpack that for you, what that means. Watch this, watch this. When he says, I'm bringing good news to the poor. Well, we, we, you think about it. What is good news to somebody that's poor? Not that you're rich, but you're no longer poor. That your, your needs will be met, no matter what they are. That you no longer will have to suffer under, under, under this governmental stuff. He sent me to proclaim to captives that they will be released. People not just in bondage, in jail, hear me, but people that's in bondage to sin. People that's in bondage to addiction, people that's in bondage to to traditions and things like that. Whatever holds you captive, you shall be set free. And he says, I want the blind to see. I come to set the blind and let them see. Uh, You've been walking around blindly for so long thinking that you've been doing things right. You've said the right thing. You've done the right thing. And blindly thinking that's enough to get you into heaven. He said, but I'm going to release and remove the blinders from you and let you see life through God's eyes. I'm going to remove these things that hold you so you can see life through God's eyes. Then he says, and the oppressed shall be set free. Well, who are the oppressed? The marginalized citizens of that area. The marginalized citizens, not of just that area, but the marginalized citizens of the earth. 
those in America that are marginalized, who face voter suppression, those that are marginalized, where more of our people are imprisoned than they are educated, uh, those who are marginalized, those who have the highest rate of poverty in this country, the most who are marginalized, those who are fighting daily just to become citizens because they said in America there's promise of freedom. Uh, those who are marginalized, this is who Jesus came for, not privileged people sitting up in a building called the church. Not the Pharisees or the Sadducees and all of these other. He came for broken, marginalized people. That was his first sermon. He could have preached a feel-good sermon. He could have said, you know what, I'm here, and guess what? I'm about to heal everybody because we know that's what he ends up doing, right? I'm here, and I'm going to make everybody that's poor rich because we know that he helped some people through some stuff. His partners were tax collectors. He hung out with some people to have some bread. He didn't do a feel-good message. He said, I'm here. For all you rich people thought I was here for you? Nah. I'm here for the people that's less than. And that's what we mean about the church that seems so insignificant has the most honor. That's what we're talking about. That body part that seems so insignificant has the most importance. And that's our, those are the people that Jesus identified as those people that are most important. Matter of fact, he gave a parable and said this. I will leave the 99 sheep just to go after the one. Because 99, they already know how to graze well. <laughs> 99, they've been eating well. They fat. But that one that got away, they need me. I'll go after the one and I'll leave the 99. This is what my Jesus said. This is what my Jesus said. Watch this. Meet me over in Galatians. I'm almost done. Meet me over in Galatians. I'm almost done. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 28. For you all are children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. It's because of faith. That we are all children and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ. But like but uh, he says, like putting on new clothes, there is no longer watch this Jew or Gentile slave or free male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Put your finger on the pause button. He's not saying that you're no longer any of those things. You're going to always be a female. If you are a female, you're going to always be a male. If you are a male, unless you change that on your own but how you were born still says who you are okay you'll always be those things that doesn't change you but what he's saying is because you've put on christ in your life now you have a new identity we're going to talk about that in a minute and now that you belong to christ you are the true children of abraham you are heirs and god's promise to abraham belongs to you if you remember, if you've ever been with me long enough, you've heard me say this before. Being adopted was greater than being biological, according to Bible times. In other words, if you were my biological child, if I was not happy with decisions you made, I could disown you. Because you were messing up the family name. But if you were adopted, I could not cancel that contract. I cannot rip it up. I cannot change it. If you are adopted into my family, I could never disown you. That was the law of the land. And what the writer is saying here, who is Paul, to the church in, uh, in Galatia, what he's saying is, check this out, because you accepted Christ into your life, guess what? You are also from the tribe of David as well. 
Uh, you are an heir. You are directly connected to everything that Jesus is connected to. You are directly connected to the promises that God gave Abraham long ago. Everything, everything that I promised them belongs to you now. Why? Because you took off your old clothes. You shook off the dirt that was behind it. You put on some new clothes and you are a new creature in Christ. Yes, you're still black. Yes, you're still a woman. Yes, you're still Latino. Yes, you're still who you are. But guess what? You got something extra riding with you now, baby. You are different. You are new. And now you got the same promises that everybody had. And that's for every Christian. So if you and I have the same promises, why are you ignoring my plight? If you and I have the same promises, why are you letting me be hungry? If you and I have the same promises, why don't you invite me into your house? If you and I have the same promises, why aren't my issues your issues? If you and I have the same promises and we have the same father in heaven and we have the same DNA now that we're both in Christ, why does not my issues matter to you? Why are you ignoring my struggles? Why are you not speaking up against stuff that bothers everybody that looks like me, that lives where I live, that come for our come? Why aren't you speaking up for me? Why? And that's the failure of the church in America. We're all Christians until our own issue doesn't matter to somebody else. A great pastor, a local pastor that I follow by the name of Pastor Leon's Crump at Renovation Church. He said this a long time ago, and I'm going to end right here. And I love this. He said this several years ago. He says, we become new ethnics when we come to follow Jesus and are transformed by the gospel. We are striving as Christians to be freed from the bounds of prejudice, fear, and hangups of simply being identified by our race, class, and our culture. We long to become a new ethnos altogether, a beautiful tapestry of God's creation called and chosen by him for something bigger than ourselves. They asked me on that panel last week. They said, Pastor, I want to ask you something, and you can be completely honest. It may seem like a silly question to you, but I just want to know, what are you comfortable being called? Black, African-American? I said, uh, jokingly, I said, I don't care as long as it's not the N-word. And they laughed. I said, but in all sincerity, when have I earned the right to just be called American? And the same thing applies in church. When do I earn the right? To be just like you, a child of God that matters to you. My issues matter to you like yours matter to me. When have we earned that? And that is the question I have for you. Even those who are online listening, that is the question I have for everybody here. When do they matter? The change happens when we all are on the same page. So your challenge today is to get people to hear your heart, speak the truth with compassion, but then let Let's get united with this. Even other churches, that, that black churches, we're so divided. We need to be more united. Amen? Amen, amen. Let us pray. Thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that Pastor B said something that moves you closer to Jesus. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, we would like to invite you to follow us on social media at Mosaic Mableton and visit us on our website at wearemosaicchurch.org. You can learn more information about our church, ways to support our ministry through financial donations, stay updated on upcoming events, and find resources to support your spiritual journey. We would be delighted to welcome you in person. 
person on Sunday mornings to worship and connect with others, our doors are always open to those seeking a place to grow and explore their faith. Thanks for tuning in and may God bless you on your spiritual journey.